Howdy, everybody. It's time for another podcast of Thinking Beyond, Conversations with Strategic Thinkers. I'm here again, David Flint, and with me is my co-host, Joan Quintana. Hello, Dr. Flint. And our producer, Will Walker. Howdy, Will. (laughs) Okay, so today, maybe a a little bit different for us, but we have a a very well-known author and speaker and... uh, Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Who have we got, Joan? So today we are very, very fortunate to have Jeff Hayden with us. He is the author of The Motivation Myth. Jeff is an impressive guy. He has 1.5 million page views per month on Inc. That makes him the most read author on Inc. And he's also an influencer on LinkedIn. The guy has accomplished a lot. I think we're going to hear today about how he's gotten to where he is. Yeah, I think he has over 960,000 followers on LinkedIn. That's just crazy. Hmm. And we, and he's here with us. So listen, you guys get to hear from this guy who's accomplished a whole lot in his career, or I should say careers. Yeah, careers. He's an yes. and. <laughs> definitely an and, yes. So we're going to definitely hear about that and what that means. I think it'll be a great conversation. Did we mention that Jeff has just released a, a book out there, The Motivation Myth? He did, actually. January 2018, he released The Motivation Myth. It is a great read. Highly recommend, and we'll, we'll hear about that during this conversation. Okay. Well, let's get started talking to Jeff, okay? Let's do it. Well, howdy, Jeff. How are howdy. you? How are we going? <laughs> Good. And I, can, and, I can, and I can say hi, howdy, with some sort of authenticity since I grew up outside of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, so it's appropriate for me, too. There you go. <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for being on this podcast. We call this podcast Conversations with Strategic Thinkers, and you are definitely in that category of, of a strategic thinker. This book that you've written, The Motivation Myth, and, and your life story and everything, I think is a really good great story about strategic thinking. So thanks for consenting to be on today, and I know it's going to be a great conversation. It is my pleasure, sir. Thank you. <laughs> so first of all, can you explain to to whoever is listening to this podcast and whenever they're listening to it, can you explain a little bit about who you are and why you wrote the book, The Motivation Myth? Ooh, well, the first, the first question is really boring. Uh, <laughs> I worked in I worked in manufacturing for 20 years. I worked my way through college at a manufacturing plant and liked that and interviewed for jobs that were all with 40-year-old men in cubicles, which I'm old enough now. I wish I was a 40-year-old man, but at the time, that, that, that seemed like hot death. Uh, so I took an entry-level job at another manufacturing plant. I worked for R.R. Donnelly. I think they are still the world's largest commercial printers. Started at the very bottom on the shop floor and worked my way up and I don't know, 17, 18 years later, I was running a plant. That was my dream job. And then three years after that, I realized that it was no longer my dream job. And so spent some time trying to build a writing career on the side, you know, in the, in the classic, what's now referred to as a side hustle, but at the time was just feeling overwhelmed because I've worked 16 hours a day. And finally, finally got to where I could make a go with that. So I write for eight now, go through, I think I'm up to 57 books wow. now. Uh-huh. Um, and of course I had my own and I, I've ghostwritten all sorts of stuff I've done I've been done like eulogies so I've, I've written what someone would say about a relative at a funeral even though I didn't know the relative nor the person which is kind of challenging so I've, I've been doing that for a while and so the better answer or the better question to answer at least from my perspective is why I wrote the book so one day I was talking to Venus Williams and 
everybody knows Venus as, you know, the tremendous tennis player, obviously, but she also has outside pursuits that are spectacularly successful in their own right. She runs a fitness work company that she started. She didn't just attach her name to it. It's not an endorsement thing. She actually does the design work. She runs the business. She's day-to-day involved. She has an interior design firm that does designs for hotels and fitness clubs and Mm. things like that. She's involved in that as well. So she's succeeding on all these different fronts and levels at a very high level. And so when I was talking to her, though, she said she never had this moment where she said, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. I've had this lightning bolt moment that says either I want to be a Wimbledon champion or I want to be an entrepreneur. She just had things that she was interested in, and she decided that she would pursue them and try to get better. Mm-hmm. That was the big jolt of, there wasn't even a big jolt of motivation. She just had that little moment. And I compare that to tons of people that I talk to who say they feel stuck, who don't know what they want to try to do. They think they have goals and dreams, but they can't find the motivation to even get started. And I realized that if you compare them to every extremely successful person I've talked to, the really successful people, none of them waited nor even had that moment of lightning bolt motivation that it came to them. Mm -hmm. The people that are stuck are waiting for something to happen to give them the motivation. And what it really speaks to is that if you have something you want to do that's hard and you're interested in it, that's really all the motivation that you need. The next step is to do, and it's what you talk about in your book, Think Beyond Value. The next step is to say, okay, how do I lay this out? How do I create a process that will give me small successes, that will give me small wins, that will give me a foundation to continue to improve? And every time that you have one of those little teeny wins, it feels good. It's fulfilling, it's gratifying, makes you feel better about yourself, makes you a little bit happier. That gives you that little dose of motivation that will take you to the next day. Mm-hmm. So for really successful people, motivation is actually something that they can create on a daily basis as opposed to the people who feel stuck who think motivation is something that somehow has to come to them. And so in a really long-winded, around-the-barn kind of answer, that's what my book is about. It's about if you have a big goal, you don't have to wait. You just have to find the right process, and if you follow it, it will give you all the motivation that you need. Yeah, that is that is a great insight. And, you know, you mentioned how that dovetails with what I talk about in Think Beyond Value with the, the V-Real framework. You know, I, I finished your book, and and actually Joan Quintana um, also read your book at the same time. And, of course, Joan is, a, is an important part of, of this podcast as well. And, you know, I said to her, this book is all about how to help people enable themselves to be able to create the value that they want to create in the world. You know, I, I just see it as a really practical guide to helping people get from point A to point B, realizing that there's a whole bunch of little steps between point A and point B. Great tools, great suggestions about how to do that. So congratulations on on that book. I I hope it does really well for you. So far it has. And one of the interesting things about this, if I can expand a little bit, another thing that people get hung up on is that they think they have to have this goal that is incredibly meaningful that, you know, is going to take over their life and it creates this passion. And actually you can find passion through the process of getting better at something. So 
like at one point I decided I wanted to get in better cardio shape, which is a terrible goal because <laughs> what does that mean? Get in better shape? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So how do you how do you even do something? So I decided in order to do that, I couldn't run because my knees are bad. So I, I decided I would ride a bike. Hate riding a bike. Hated riding a bike. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, there's this Grand Fondo where I live that it goes over 102 miles and 11,000 feet of climbing. Your Grand Fondo is like a, a mass participation cycling event mm-hmm. that's supposed to not be competitive, but when you get people who are willing to ride 100 miles, <laughs> yeah. that means they're pretty much all type A, and yeah. so they are competitive. Uh, so it's one of those things. And I only had four months to train. But I thought, well, that would be a really cool goal, and that will push me. And so I hated riding the bike the first week or two. Because I was slow, I got tired really fast, my legs hurt, I would go home and feel terrible. But then as I got a little bit of improvement, it started to get oddly fun. And then that started to make me think, well, you know, I'd like to actually learn more about the technology side of the bike. I wanted to learn a little bit more about nutrition. It all just sort of created this really cool virtual cycle of a little bit of improvement, gave me a little bit of motivation, made me interested in something else. That made me learn something that was fun. And over time... I got to where I really, really enjoyed cycling. And it wasn't because I had this passion for it before I started. It was because I found that through the course of following an interest and then getting better at it, feeling good about that. And then at some point, what's really cool about this is that you go from being a person who, in this instance, rides a bike to being a person who sees himself as, again, in this instance, a cyclist. And when you've become something in your mind, when you feel like you belong and you feel like you are something, motivation is an even smaller factor because, I don't know, do you guys have kids? Yeah, there are kids involved. (laughs) Okay, so when you wake up in the morning, do you have to motivate yourself to take care of your kids? Did you have, you know? No, you're a parent. Parents take care of their kids. It's a little bit like what happens with people who, you know, when you first get into a supervisory position, the first time you're in charge of people, you kind of are following a checklist of sorts, whether it's mental or not, where you're going through the steps and you're, you're trying to make sure the right things get done and you're trying to do all that stuff. And at some point, though, you switch over and you have in your mind become a leader. And now when you see a situation, you don't have to think about, hmm, do I step in here? What do I do? How do I handle that? You just think, oh, there's a problem, I'm going to deal with that. Because you are a leader and that is what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens with people who are entrepreneurs. That happens in all sorts of facets of life. And the cool thing is you don't have to have a burning desire to be whatever that thing is ahead of time because the process of improving and learning about it and gaining some skill and feeling good about that will take you to really cool places. And even if it doesn't, you will have gained a skill set and some tools that you can apply to everything else in your life that happens subsequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is such great advice. And the other thing that I really like, which maybe you know you don't quite think about it this way, or maybe you do, but you know because of the way that I think, you have figured out how to create value in this world for other people by following your interests and by practicing what you preach in terms of going where they take you and, and, and setting these, these small goals for yourself and becoming something like a cyclist or a writer or whatever. But along the way, you have figured out how to create value for people and to do it in a way that really is distinctive in the marketplace. And you know, I, I just think that that is a, is a great story. Well, I am decidedly average. So if, if I have a, seriously, so if I have a, if I struggle with something 
or if there's something I wish I was better at, or if whatever it may be, if that's the case for me, odds are that there are a lot of other people who are in that same position. And so if I can figure it out or if I can come up with a path or I can come up with strategies or tips or anything like that, it tends to be valuable to some number of people because basically we all have goals we want to achieve. That's common to all of us. They may be different, but we all have things we want to achieve. We all want to be happier. I don't know anybody that would like to be less happy. So (laughs) that's a common thing. So if you think about... If you think about things that are common, or like in your world, every business owner wants to build a better business, however they define better. That could be more revenue, that could be taking better care of their employees, whatever you decide better is, everybody wants to be better. That's a common thing, so that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're out there creating value for other people because you are interested in the process of making a business better. Mm -hmm. And so... Being decidedly average for once in my life is actually an advantage. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think that doesn't happen very often. But... <laughs> well, I, I think that more people need to to hear what you just said. You know, people think that, well, I'm I'm not special, I'm not unique or whatever. But there still is a way to create value out there because of whoever you are and, and whatever you can do. I think people need to hear that more often. I really do. Well, the, the thing that I like to tell people, and one of my favorite examples is, you know Tim Ferriss, I suppose. Yeah, I, the, I know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Tim is this cultural phenomenon now, basically. You know, his podcast is one of the top five, I think, on iTunes all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's done a bunch of books and stuff, but Tim Ferriss wasn't always Tim Ferriss. And I was, as I was becoming a writer, I was ghostwriting mostly because nobody wanted to read anything that I had my name on. And I was doing some work for a company called Elance, which I think is called Upwork or WeWork now or something. But it was a a marketplace for freelancers and people who had projects to kind of meet in the middle. Okay. So Tim was, Tim had four hour work week coming out and the Elance people said, he's been hanging around our offices. He's been bugging us. He'd like to get some promotion for his book. Can you talk to him on the phone for like 15 minutes and we'll include him in a wrap up, a roundup of like three books that are coming out. So I talked to Tim for actually half an hour and I called the editor back and I said, this guy's really good. (laughs) It's a waste to throw him in as like two paragraphs in this synopsis of stuff. He's perfect for your audience. And they're like, ah, whatever. No, just do your two paragraphs and go on. Hmm. So I like to call that the, that was Tim Ferriss before he was Tim Ferriss. (laughs) And, And what that points to is, Everybody is whoever they are before whoever they become what they will someday be. And so if you were saying that you know, there are people that think, wow, I'm not special, I'm not unique, I, I don't have that much to offer, nobody had a lot to offer at some point. It's the process of working and building skill and building expertise and gaining experience and trying to get somewhere. That's what takes you to the place where someday you can be special and you can provide a lot of value to some segment of your audience or your marketplace or whatever it is, that's all the journey for people. It's really easy to look and say, well, you know, if I was Richard Branson, then yeah, I'd be doing these things. Well, Richard Branson wasn't always Richard Branson, you know, they air quote Richard Branson. So what it boils down to is that it's easy to feel like, you know, if, if I think about where I am right now and what I have to offer, it's easy to think, wow, I compared to all these other people, I really don't have anything special that I can provide. And that's probably not the case. You're probably selling yourself short. But then also, as you gain skill, experience, as you 
broaden who you are, you become this other person that is different than who you are right now because you've grown. Who you are right now is, if you continue to work to learn and grow and gain skill and experience, it is not who you will someday be. And so the influence you can have on other people, either whether it's helping them or guiding them or making a difference somehow, that influence will grow as you grow yourself. And so everyone that is someone you look to as a thought leader or a strategist or a role model or whatever you want to call them, everyone who is those things, they weren't that at some point. Mm -hmm. And you can be those things in whatever arena you wish to be as long as you're willing to do the work. Yeah. And there's one point in your book where you talk about you you don't really need a mentor. You need a, a pro. You need somebody who's actually done something for you to focus on. And I really like that. You know, I have a little academic sidelight here that I do some publishing, you know, and I, I like to refer to people having the right competitive cohort to compare themselves against. You know, tell tell the listeners what you mean by you really need a pro rather than a mentor. Yeah, I, you're one of the few people that has actually responded positively to that. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> my, my, my point with that is, and I will use a fitness example, let's say that you want to run, run a marathon. That's a bucket list goal for tons of people. And, but you're not a runner. So you go to your local gym and you talk to the personal trainer there. And part of their process is they're going to ask you, you know, what you currently do, what your interests are, what your lifestyle is, how much time you have to devote to training. And they're going to craft something that is specific to all the, and I'm using air quotes, individual needs and capabilities that you have. The problem is, in all likelihood, that sugar-coated, soft sell approach to getting you where you want to go is not going to work. Flip that over and say that you know someone who has run three or four marathons. They're experienced. They know what the work is. They know how to do it. They have succeeded at doing so. And if you went to them and said, if you are me and you wanted to run the, you know, pick something, the New York City Marathon, of course you have to qualify, but let's pretend you can. Mm -hmm. You want to run, if I want to run that and I have six months to train, what would you do? That person is going to look at you and say, okay, if that's your goal and this is the time you have, here's what you have to do. And they're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. And from my point of view, if you have a goal that you have decided you want to achieve, I would much rather hear the what I need to do thing, even if I don't enjoy hearing it and I don't like the thought of what I have to do, because that gives me the best chance of succeeding. If I do the oh, that sounds fun, and that feels pretty good, and yeah, I can probably, I can work at that. I'm probably not going to succeed, and all that time that I do put in is in large part going to be wasted. So I would rather hear what I need to do from a person who has done it and will tell me in very clear, cold, clinical terms what I need to do. I'd rather do that. And if I'm not willing to follow that, then I probably don't want that goal as badly as I'm telling myself that I do. So that's my point between a coach and a pro. It's nothing against coaches, and many of them are great, but I would much rather get advice from a person who has not only learned maybe how to teach people to do something, but that has actually done it themselves, because then they will look you right in the eye and say, here's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing, don't do it. I'll take that any day. I applaud. (laughs) I think that's great advice, actually. You know, we were talking a little bit before we actually started taping, and you said something that I really liked. You said the struggle is everything. Explain what you mean by that. There's this this idea, and it's another Tim Ferriss thing, actually. You know, one of the points of the the 
four-hour work week was, and some of his other things, is that there's a way to kind of hack your way to success. Like, if you can find this one little key that unlocks this big Pandora's box that suddenly you've blazed your way through and it's a shortcut to success, once in a while, maybe those things exist, but every really successful person I know has walked a really long and hard road and put in a ton of effort, more than most other people, in order to get to that other side. And so the struggle, the harder you have to work at something, in general, the better reward at the other end, in my point of view. Whether it's the tangible reward or whether it's the intrinsic, I feel really good about myself. Wow, that was really hard, but I got to the other end. So if you are willing to embrace the struggle, or as the the steel guys say, you know, embrace the suck, if you're willing (laughs) to embrace the struggle part and recognize that what it isn't, it isn't actually struggle. It's actually foundation building that creates the structure that allows you to get where you want to go. If you're willing to do the struggle, then you're going to get to really good places. If you are always looking for the shortcut, then maybe once in a while you get somewhere, but you don't really feel good about it. And you haven't learned anything about yourself in the process because it was too easy. So, you know, my dad used to say, if you're struggling with a decision, the hard choice is probably the right one. And I found that most often to be true, sadly enough. It sucks how parents are uh, smarter than you think when you're thinking. Um, but they do turn out to be that way. Uh, but I, you know, the struggle, the struggle is actually, to me, the fun part because that's where the learning and the growth and the development comes from. Mm-hmm. If you're not struggling, you're not learning anything. You're not getting better and you're not growing. And the cool thing about growing is that you do get to look back and you get to say, I'm here. This is a really cool place. And if I look back where I was, wow, I've come a long way. And that is a really gratifying feeling. It has nothing to do with how anyone else in the world perceives you, but it's how you see yourself. And that's the best gratification of all. That look in the mirror gratification, that's the best because you carry that with you everywhere. So how did you become a LinkedIn influencer with 960-some thousand followers and 1.5 million readers on Inc. every month? What was your struggle? Well, I had never written a thing when I decided I wanted to be a writer. And I didn't go to school to be a writer either. So, you know, it was, it was I'm, I'm hissing there, but it was kind of a stupid goal. Um, but it was something I wanted to do. So I worked nights and weekends, and I ghostwrote for people. And my wife actually got me my first ghostwriting gig. She found a guy that had a startup, and he needed a press release. And she came home, and she said, I found your first job. You're writing a press release. And I thought, I don't know how to write a press release. I don't know anything about that. And so I'm looking at it. was the worst paying job I've ever had because it took me like six or seven hours, and I only got paid like 50 bucks because it was just death. But I worked my way through it. And so I wrote for other people, and, and I've written some. I, I Nowadays, if I write or I ghostwrite, it tends to be business, management, leadership, entrepreneurship, because that's my wheelhouse of experience. Uh-huh. But at the time, I was taking any job I could get, so I wrote a hydroponics book. It sold really well for the client, but I've, as I told you, I've tried to actively repress that entire experience. <laughs> I never want to think about growing plants in water again. <laughs> On the humorous side, I wrote a book that was a personal finance for exotic dancers. So, you know, if you want to paraphrase that title, it's, you know, finance for strippers. And, and it, sold, it sold really, really well. That one I can talk about because the client actually never paid me. Oh. Uh, my confidentiality. Or my confidentiality. That, maybe that was the first chapter should have been how to get things out of people without, them, without having to pay them. Uh, 
when the confidentiality agreement was broken, usually I sign confidentiality agreements that I swear they're, they're so involved that my firstborn child is tied up in there somewhere. Yeah. It seems like. Uh, <laughs> but so I, I did that. So I wrote a bunch of stuff that I didn't necessarily want to write or didn't enjoy writing, but it was part of you have to start somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere. And you don't always get to do the things you love all the way along, especially as you're growing and building skill. And so over time, I got to where, okay, I'm better at this. I can pick projects that you know I enjoy more. I can pick projects that pay better. Or, or in that case, I can pick projects that actually pay at all. Um, and then my wife actually said to me at one point, the problem with ghostwriting is that it's hard to market yourself when you can't talk about yourself. Yeah. So, you know, ghostwriting is like Fight Club. First rule of Fight Club is you can't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> First rule of ghostwriting is you can't talk about any projects you've done. So if I'm standing in front of you saying, hey, I'd like to help you with your book, and you say, well, who have you written for before? Uh, well, I can't tell you. <laughs> uh, what subjects you've written on? Well, I really can't tell you much about that. <laughs> what can you show me that you've done? Well, I really can't show you anything. <laughs> so that's tough to convince people that they want to work with you. Yeah. So she said, yeah, you need some stuff in your own name. So I pitched the top 10 business sites at the time. Uh, only one of them responded, but that worked out really well. And so in time, I ended up at Inc. And my stuff on Inc. did really, really well because, again, I try to write about things that have broad application to people and that are, you know, I don't write niche stuff most of the time. And so at the time, LinkedIn was doing, if you went on LinkedIn today, which is not polls, but it was basically just aggregation. They would take articles that LinkedIn users were sharing at a certain velocity per period of time, and they would aggregate those onto category pages or onto their homepage. Mm -hmm. And my stuff did really well there. So they invited me into the influencer program, and I, I think I was the only non-CEO like or professor or something like that. So as I told you before, it's the only time I'll ever be on the list with Bill Gates and Richard <laughs> Branson and Mark Cuban. Um, so that was a fun list to be on. Uh -huh. um, and so I got to be on the influencer program, which was really cool. And it isn't as valuable as it used to be because everyone can publish on LinkedIn now. At the time, it was only influencers who could publish, and mm -hmm. so... If you were reading content on LinkedIn, you were reading something the influencers wrote. So it's harder to, to get the readership now than it used to be, but it's still a, a really nice thing. And again, you know, me and Richard joined at the hill. So that's how that happened. But the, the basis of your question is that I had to work my butt off. And I worked long hours, and I worked hard hours, and I took projects that I... I took what I could get and I built on it and I did that thing where I was talking about the struggle and the foundation and there were a lot of struggles, but it built a foundation that got me to some other place. And if there is a moral of that story, it's if a decidedly average person like me can get to the place where I've been able to do some of the things that I've done, then imagine what other people can do if they apply themselves equally hard. Well, it's a great story, and I really appreciate the time that you've taken to have this, this chat today. I'm pretty sure that anybody who listens to this podcast is going to get some really valuable insights out of listening to you talk about how you got to where you are today and, and how you have <laughs> learned that the struggle really is everything. Is Can there I jump in and say one more thing? Sure, absolutely. I was going to ask, uh, let you tell the whoever's listening to this how to reach you or how to get your book or whatever, so say whatever you want to say uh, well my i wasn't going to say that uh, <laughs> my book is available a, a, a phrase i have not grown tired of saying is that my book is available wherever books are sold uh, <laughs> so kind of fun. Um, if you go to egg.com and search my name you'll find about 1500 articles and i'm on twitter it's easy. what i wanted to say is that for people who have something big
your life focused on your goal and you always have to be thinking of your goal and it always has to be front and center of mind, I don't think that works particularly well. Pick a goal and then let your goal inform the process that you create that will get you there. And as soon as you have a process, and if that means finding a pro, find a pro, whatever you have to do, when you have a process that is not necessarily guaranteed, but is pretty strongly predicted that you can get where you want to go if you do the work, mm-hmm. then forget about the end goal and just look at what you have to do every day. So if it's today, what do I have to do today? And if you do what you have to do today, don't pop your head up and look out to how far you still have to go to reach your goal. Just think about today and say, I did what I had to do today. I get to feel good about myself. Focus on that. And that's feeling good about, hey, I've accomplished this. I have checked that off. I've had a good day. That will give you the motivation to get up the next day and do the same thing. And if you just click those off, at some point you can lift up your head and look across and say, wow, I'm getting there. I'm yeah. getting really close. But if, you've only, if you're only three days into it, if you're trying to run that marathon that described and you're three days into it and you've only run a mile a day for three days, if you come home exhausted and you realize, oh my gosh, I've got to do 26 of those, you're going to quit because the distance <laughs> from here to there is too far. Yeah. But if you just say to yourself, hey, my project, my plan today was I need to run a mile. I did it. Awesome. I get to feel good because I did what I set out to do. And the process of clicking off those days, improvement will come. You will get better. You will get closer to your goal. And then someday you'll be there almost without having known it. So your process, your goal is important, but only in that it informs the process that you create that will get you there. So I like to tell people, tell me your dream, tell me your goal, but most importantly, tell me your plan because that's what's going to get you there. Mm-hmm. That is good wisdom. <laughs> really good. Well, you know, I I would like to sit and talk with you for a long time, but I know that we actually have some constraints on, on what we can do here on this podcast. But I do want to say again, thanks very much for taking the time to talk today. And again, you said it's easy to find you out there. We'll talk a little bit about that in our post-podcast banter here. But I, I just really appreciate that you are, are putting really good information out for people that will help them figure out how to enable them to get from, you know, that that point where they are now to where they want to be. So Thank you. And if I can end on a country note, y'all come see us. We might do that. <laughs> okay, well, once again, thank you and we'll be talking to you later. All right? Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye. Well, that was a fun conversation with Jeff. It, it was. I love listening in on the conversations, but this time in particular, Jeff's just a great guy, great conversationalist, and there's so much parallel and I guess complementary between his process-focused ideas that he presents in The Motivation Myth and, and what you're presenting in V-Real and that whole process. And that's really intriguing. Yeah, he mentioned, you know, prior to us actually recording, he mentioned that he saw our two books as both being very process-oriented. And that's true. You know, mine is is maybe a little bit more higher level, organizational level, but can apply at the personal level. And his is much more at the personal level, but could be applied at the organizational level. So we're kind of, of coming at, at process from sort of different directions and meeting in the middle a little bit, I think. Yeah, I found it interesting. I actually was listening to the book on Audible, and that was a great experience to kind of use my edge time. He talks about that in the book, and I, I felt very proud of myself for that. So that was fun. But we 
as I was listening to him talk, I kind of was also hearing your voice in my head and I was immediately thinking, okay, well, this is a great enabler. Like this is how we, we put these processes in play to enable us to get to whatever the goal is that we set. So the big vision for the company or the big vision for an individual is really powerful stuff. The things that he puts out there, the, the ideas that he he spoke about, just in terms of setting out your process, working that process, always have a goal, of course, and, and you say the same thing. Like, you've got to have a big vision. You've got to check that with, are you valuable and, you're, and are you rare? But what's going to come along to erode that and your ability to be valuable and rare? And he is his process is a great enabler for some really common erosion factors. Yeah. And because he focuses more at the personal level, and I, I think this goes back to what we have talked about with others on this podcast, sometimes your, your biggest eroding factor is you. And even if you're part of an organization, you know, you're, you're trying to achieve something as an entrepreneur or a manager or CEO or whatever. And if you are not taking care of your personal eroding factors and enabling yourself to overcome them so that you can create the value that you need to create, then you are setting up your organization for failure as well. So you can be your, your own worst enemy, your own biggest eroding factor. And his book speaks to ways, very practical ways, to help you overcome some of those very common problems that erode away your ability to, to get things to happen and do things. And, you know, for that, I applaud him. It's very useful very useful stuff. I was telling you earlier, it's kind of sticky. It, it gets <laughs> in your head and, and it's easy to apply the suggestions that he's making about, you know, make a plan and then work the plan. And, and it's very similar in that regard to V-Roll. V-Roll gives you a language for communicating and thinking through how you're going to create value over time with value and rareness and eroding factors and enabling factors and longevity. And then what Jeff is doing is he comes back through or back at this with just the practical tools to put in place once you've identified those eroding factors. Okay, well, let's what's the process? Let's, let's lay out that process and let's work that process. Have to have a goal. But I think what he says is really wise, like set the goal, then forget the goal for a little bit and just work it work your plan and i think vroll helps you get to a plan and then he gets you down at that very granular level of okay this is this process it's really complimentary and just great practical stuff for individuals and i think also for companies mm-hmm. of individuals you know one thing that i i don't think i mentioned while we were recording our conversation is that many of the things that he talks about actually can be backed up with empirical research in the academic literature in terms of the effectiveness of, of setting goals, of getting specific numbers to achieve, of, of limiting your, your focus on the, the priority items and all of that. Those kinds of things have a lot of empirical support in the academic literature. So he's giving very practical steps that actually are very well backed by hard research. And I appreciate that. You know, he doesn't he doesn't make a, a big deal about that in the book. And I, I don't know, you know, if that's because that was intentional or he just doesn't think that way or whatever. But there's actually a lot of, of hard, solid research behind much of what he has in his book. Well, there you go. That's why it, that's why it seems to work so well. This this idea that motivation is a myth that in fact it's 
it's small successes that drive additional success and setting yourself up for success. It's, it's really simple and yet really, really a li- little bit of genius there. So it's a great read. Big applause. You said yourself, big applause from you, David. And, and I think it's a it's a great read and we certainly recommend that. And Jeff said that they, you can get his book anywhere books are sold. So yeah. that's <laughs> awesome. And we would encourage you to do that, check it out. But also if you want to know more about VRIL and, and how you'll use that tool, check out David's book, Think Beyond Value. Building Strategy to Win is, is now available out there where books are sold. And we encourage you to check it out. But you can also check out drdavidflint.com. We've got some free resources available there that you can download and start to use as you're building your strategy and thinking things through for the long term. So we encourage you to do that. And of course, follow David on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, Dr. David Flint. Okay. Well, this has been another really good conversation with a very strategic thinker who's had a lot of careers and done a lot of very interesting things. We could have talked to him for a very long time. (laughs) It was fun. Yeah. All right. So until the next time, everybody out there, just keep thinking.